my dream job absolutely is writing like writing specifically and I've always had these like fantastical stories in my mind I think stories are the vaccine to true life a vaccine is introduction of the virus in order to add resistance to that virus the idea that we can tell a story that has a dragon and it's allegorical for greed pain or suffering or fatalism of like things are always going to end in fire whenever I'm around like that kind of thing I've always had a heart for like telling stories that specifically allow you to see yourself in those characters and allow you to see complex situations mixed with like magic or mixed with urban fantasy or mixed with horror or mixed with sci-fi just because like that stuff is super fun to write um, but also because it allows you to like take a step back and get lost in a metaphor and that's that's very fun and beautiful my guest this week is lexi mcqueen lexi is a performer world builder, and professional dungeon master. She's the creator of Strix U, a tabletop RPG campaign set in the Magic the Gathering universe. Above all else, Lexi is a storyteller. We get deep into Lexi's process, her connection to spirituality, and how she's taking back storytelling for herself. Enjoy. You gotta love the um, the Riverside Countdown. It's, uh, oh, it's yeah. very... It's very um, professional, but at the same time, it's a little bit kind of like, it's official now, right? So I'm officially yeah. in the house with Lexi McQueen. Lexi, how are you? I'm doing so well. This is this is going to be great. I'm very excited. <laughs> Probably doing better than your dog, right? You just mentioned that uh, your dog is overdue for, uh, for a walk or going out? For a walk, like a very long walk. Um, it's the weekend. Normally, we go to like a park or something. And I had a very selfish Saturday which means I just went out and did everything I wanted to do. <laughs> but I'll make it up to him tomorrow. Tomorrow's his actual birthday, so. What, what, is it, what does it mean, though, to have a selfless Saturday or a selfless day as an alternative? Like, are you always doing stuff for oh. other folks or trying to commit to obligations? Or what, was, what is it? Yes. <laughs> That's the simple answer, yes. Um, usually my weekends are saying yes to any game that pops up like during the week if someone's just like hey i have a spot or like hey i'm running a charity thing or hey you know i'm a little bored can anyone hop on my show anything like that so usually uh selfless saturdays selfless sundays are me just joining anybody else's show if they need someone i'm just like yeah sure i'm free i got a couple hours why not that's amazing that generosity is, I think, what keeps creators going, right? Because it's a kind of give and take, right? First of all, thank you for, again, for jumping on this show. You know, I, I don't know what I can offer you, but I, I just feel like for creators, there's always a good back and forth. We're all in this kind of community, whether it's magic or RPGs or otherwise. Yeah. It's good to, what's the term, give forward or to, to pay it yeah. forward? Yeah, pay forward. Yeah, pay it forward. And I think there's also something like, I think from interactions like these, there's nothing anyone could give me that would equate to just like talking to someone about like, not even just myself, but what we do, how we do what we do, how creative we are, and what our lives are like as creators. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's a price to that. So I love like if I can help people out in a way that doesn't like sometimes it drains me, but in a way that doesn't like directly drain me in a way that like actually will benefit them and in a way where I know I'm going to have fun. Uh, 
I'm down to clown for just about any anything, really. How do you balance the sort of finite amount of energy that we all have? For example, it's it's great to pay for it. It's great to help out, to jump on someone's stream. But sometimes it can be draining, right? Sometimes you need a little bit of me time, which is what you did today. But how do you how do you balance that? I mean, I think I'm still learning that a lot because I do say yes to a lot just because I think I can. And then I come to find out mm, the juice might not be worth the squeeze. Like, <laughs> like by the time I'm tired and I show up to your show, you might not want me on it. But like, I've started to realize and recognize my own boundaries. Um, thank you therapy for that. But like therapy and having people who love me that also notice when I'm a little bit more on the burnt out side. Um, but I do like to think that I also have a, good eye for quality personal time um i have a lot of hobbies and at any point in time i can be very in tune with like what is going to fulfill me if i've only got 30 minutes or if i've only got an hour between my regular job and a show i have to do all night um i will make the most of that because most of the time i would just like to be sleeping but i can't do that because <laughs> 30 minutes is not enough time to power, even power nap and then wake up and get everything set up. So, um, yeah, I usually try to separate quantity of time versus quality um, and really take the time and tell people like, hey, probably won't be available for this time because um, I literally just have to turn off my phone and I'm going to go knit for two hours or I'm going to go rock climbing. And that's just like how I defend myself. But I'm still learning how to balance. That's a skill, though, right? Is squeezing mm -hmm. the maximum amount of rest or enjoyment into half an hour. Are you, have you always had that ability or is it, all, is it kind of been learned over the years? It's learned. It's learned. I was a big people pleaser growing up and I still am a big people pleaser, but I'm more defensive of myself in my time now. But... I used to just want to do everything. Like if someone asked me, it made me more sad to disappoint them that I couldn't do it. So I would be part of, I was a part of a group for like three out of four of my college years, just because like it disappointed me to think I couldn't be there for them um, when they could have made it on their own. But I knew that I fulfilled a role and I knew that it was going to be a little bit of work trying to replace me. So I just like suffered through it for three years. Um, and it's gotten to the point now that I'm like, okay, cannot do this anymore. Will not do this. But it took really what it was, was COVID. Like COVID and that pandemic time where I couldn't do anything. So I had to find how to have alone time and make it fulfilling um, because no one was asking me to do anything. So it just had to be me. And then I started realizing, oh, my time is actually precious. My energy is actually precious. And I have to hold on to that. I have to hang on to that. So now it's a, it's a muscle that I have, yeah. but yeah. Is it, was it COVID or was it maturing or did COVID accelerate the maturation or? Yeah, it was COVID definitely accelerated the maturation. Cause I, yeah, I graduated the last year or the first year COVID hit. So like COVID hit and we hadn't even finished. I hadn't even finished senior year yet. Um, and then we got kicked out, had to move home, finished college, graduated, couldn't 
graduate like in person so i had to like learn how to validate myself and then had to find an apartment because i got a job like immediately after college so it was like that feeling of uh oh like normally i would be able to fail a little bit for a couple years before getting here um and i had to quick (laughs) quick and in a hurry (laughs) figure out how to grow up um but yeah I think it would be a, a lesson for like 25. Like, I think I would be 25 learning that lesson if I could have <laughs> continued through college. <laughs> like, <laughs> Hey, well, at least you had a mostly normal college experience, at least the first three years pre-COVID, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah, fairly normal, fairly normal. And um, I wanna go back a little bit already, which is where do you think you get your people-pleasing tendencies from? definitely my family definitely it's definitely a family thing it's definitely a religion thing I think both growing up uh, my parents were both Christian Um, they are still like they own a church it's a whole thing Um, but growing up being like a pastor's kid and then on top of that like I think being a person of color in a very white America you like don't want to turn heads you don't want to raise any flags So I feel like there's a, I felt like it was going to happen no matter what, whether that was through uh, being a person of color or the religion thing, um, where my parents, we were traveling to other churches and I just had to be like the perfect kid. Um, So I feel like the people pleasing definitely stems from there. And I think I'm also a protector. I think like my personality style is like protecting and providing and it makes me more sad that people don't get what they need in life, even more so what they want. Um, and so if I can, if I'm the bridge between someone getting what they want, I would rather just be tired for a couple of hours or be drained for a couple of hours and figure it out and like use my time, but let that person like be on top of the world after that. Like that is very prior, like that's a high priority to me rather than like being like, oh, well, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm just going to be mean or like not even that, but even fully claiming my time. Like that's not mean. It's just, it's something I have a right to do, but I would rather just like sit with someone and be in their game for like six hours or like fly and go do something with someone. Um, I would rather just do that and make someone else's day and find along the way that I actually will have fun than like, or find a way to make it fun um, than to like, not be a people pleaser. <laughs> well, they say we're the synthesis of our our parents. So, what parts of you are like your dad, and what parts of you are like your oh, mom? Oh God, uh, the good parts are my mom. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, the good parts. It's good. I think the good thing is that like everything that I'm like everything that comprises me and my personality is it's a double edged sword. So like that protective side that I definitely get that from my dad, but it also comes back to bite me as a um, defensive personality as well. Like if I feel like someone's attacking me or even my friends, I get defensive before I right. get You're to step in. Right. Yeah, exactly. I got to step in. I got to be the body between and it can make me feel bad if I can't protect people. Um, and that's not good for my own self, like respect. 
Um, I think, and also things are not always in your control, whether the protection is successful or not, right? Exactly, exactly. So. I think my both my parents are very smart. My mom was a writer. Um, she went to school actually for uh, English and journalism. Um, she ended up dropping out because she had my oldest sister, but like she was going to be a writer and she continued that like her entire life. Like she continued doing grant writing and being like a very charitable person and working with nonprofits writing grants. Um, and I think I get that from her, but I also think my dad's a big, big nerd. My mom's a big nerd in a different way. My dad's like a big comics nerd and like superheroes nerd and wants to see the good in everything and wants to always like believe that people are good on the inside. And I think that that's like, I get that from my dad. My mom is weird in the sense of like weird nerd kid that was like Lord of the Rings, um, the matrix, like, Oh, like something's out there. Like, and she had this idea of like, people here are bad, but there are people out there that are good. And like, Mm -hmm. we should, you know, and even in books, like that was books are good, but people are bad. (laughs) Like, so did you, did you get your sort of, writing or creative tendencies a part of that did that come from your mom was that the whole influence in the household growing up or yeah for sure um i used to just like you know what i have to say christian writers are creative they really have to be creative to get their point across because they gotta like they gotta have you choose their book over like star wars like a star wars star wars chapter book or whatever so like a lot of what i watched growing up was like fairly creative out of the box religious content which is very like now i can laugh and make fun of it but like a lot of what i think now and the way that i think and even like villains i come up with stories i come up with heroes i come up with are rooted in the idea of like not even in religion or anything but in the idea like not even yeah i I think that they're rooted in things that my mom got for us and books that she would let us read and even her writings. Um, and as I have an older brother and me and him, we grew up and we would write, uh, we would write everywhere. Like she still has little like o- envelopes where we would write on them and little notebooks and whatever else. And it's just like wild, the kind of stories we grew up writing without knowing that she was writing those things. And like, she came to us and was like, Hey, I wrote a story similar to that when I was a kid. And So it has to come from her um, completely. But yeah, my dad is a big musician and I get pretty much all of my musical prowess from that. And then my mom loves listening to music, compositional music. And that's like where it diverges, like playing instruments and stuff. Dad, enjoying music and like being able to talk about the uh, breadth of music and how deep music can go that's my mom yeah there's different avenues of creative expression and uh, you have been fortunate to be to tap into both of those from your parents and at the risk of this being kind of a tangent Mm -hmm. i think it's really interesting what you're saying which is the fact that you know about the christian stories and you have what that is it's it just made me think that's life isn't it like when you're in it you don't actually know you're in it and then yeah. once you get older you step out of it you're like oh that's that's what that's what it's like like that's yeah. what it is or maybe you're really young and you watch the matrix you don't see the what do you call that like the illusions you don't mm-hmm. see a the lot allegory of the, as well the, the allegory you don't see like maybe even like why your parents recommended certain things to to you 
-hmm. like just full disclosure um i wasn't christian i grew up catholic you know i yeah. i i did the whole like altar boy confirmation like went went to church every week the whole nine yards went to catholic school and it's like when i when i was in it i didn't think much of it because i was just in it i was just it was just immersion mm -hmm. and i have i have actually don't have that much negativity towards um religion even though i'm not fully practicing anymore but it's just like it's just so fascinating i mean it's obvious but it's so fascinating like what your parents do and environments to put you in like that just sets you up for the rest of your life uh yeah. for good and otherwise right it's just like when you're in it you're just the fish in the the fishbowl you know exactly exactly yeah i think breaking out of it has definitely been like the biggest part of my life but also making peace with it as well is like a big big deal that a lot of people don't really get to and I know I'm going to spend the rest of my life, like, making peace with whatever. But at the same time, like, everyone is searching. And everyone's also in a condition that they don't know about. Like, in that same exact thing. We're all like this. Even though you can take a step back and be like, oh, what was that? You're just stepping back into another fishbowl. Like, you're just flopping into a bigger fishbowl. And then it's you'll like flop out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just going to keep going. Um and there's, like, I think that there are people on Earth who believe, like, you can backflip out into nothingness. And suddenly you're, like, in a consciousness of, of all things that you've ever been a part of and all things everyone is a part of. And you're able to elevate to that space. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still in a fishbowl. Uh, so I, I can't speak on that. But Yeah. <gasps> did, did your dad drop comical references into... The the sermons like because yes. i yeah okay. so many so many like movies like we couldn't watch a movie without him being like this could be a sermon and me and my brother would be like can you stop <laughs> like like this is fully madagascar too like you have to stop we can't there's nothing salvageable here um but like so many references would be in like sermons and things like that and it's it's definitely a running joke between us now um mm. If but to we be want, fair, I mean that's 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 his worldview. So it's like everything sure. has to be through that lens, right? Yeah, it's very funny. If we want a movie to be safe from them being like, how can we turn this into a sermon? We make the joke about it being turned into a sermon first, and then my parents are like, okay, fine, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> like, fine, like you you think you're funny, and then they just don't think about it. And I'm like, we saved it. <laughs> we can enjoy uh, Atomic Blonde. We can enjoy The Hobbit. Like we can enjoy these movies again. But also, it's it's still very fun to talk about, like, religion and faith-based ideas surrounding some of the movies and uh, music and TV shows and things happening today. It's still very, like, me and my mom are able to sit down and have a very, like, intelligent conversation because it's not, it's, I don't know. I, I think, like, depending on the way you go about it, especially theologically, you could be very very informed and very very intelligent about how you perceive the world um in a way that's not in a way that's acknowledging your fishbowl um mm. and that makes for such like beautiful conversation i think are you spiritual today do you believe in a higher power what, mm. what's your what's your point of view on that i think i believe in something greater but i think i believe more so that the focus being on that greater thing distracts from where we are now. So I'm more of a like philosophy person. Like I, I am more of a, if I drill in on like, 
my dream is that I drill in so much on how do you live the good life so much. Like I drill in on like, how do I make this matter? And does this matter? And if I do this, does this make me a good person? Um, and thinking about those things so much that I unlock like, like a little puzzle box where I'm like unlocking a new puzzle. And then hopefully one day I will click it and it will open. And it's like, you did it. Like you, you figured it out. Um, just because, and I know that's like a very, I think it's a very selfish view, but I think like, I can't have anybody else's experiences. So I have to figure out my own and figure out if I'm doing harm or doing good. And so I think I'm not really spiritual. I'm spiritual, but not uh, religious in that sense where I'm like, I think something's out there, but I don't think they're put like to rely on something is taking away from the thing I have in front of me, um, which is my own life, my own actions. So there's something really interesting about the nature of, being selfish or self-centered mm -hmm. versus selfless mm -hmm. i've sort of come around to the fact that we do need to just sometimes be selfish and do things for ourselves because in the aggregate i feel like if society if we all do things for ourselves hopefully it hopefully the aggregate result is actually good like it's yeah. not saying that you should never worry about your neighbors or whatever the bible uh Totes, is supposed yeah. to tell you to do but but there there you need to still optimize for the self I think mm -hmm. yeah there's this okay this is gonna be really weird there's this anime right now that I'm obsessed with and it's called Blue Lock and it's a soccer anime I do not watch sports anime I don't enjoy I I, I think it's hard to make it matter to me um, because I'm a big stakes person which is why I like Lord of the Rings which is why like you get to the point where it's the fate of the world it's it is Frodo and Mount Doom and if he does not drop the ring it's the end of the world. Like you've got one moment to change humanity forever. Um, love big stakes. This show turns the tides on that and it explores what it is like not to be selfish or selfless, but to be an egoist. And like, that sounds weird. Cause at first you're like, that doesn't sound good. Like your ego is not good. And especially people who've had traditional like psychology training, you have your like ego versus your id and like all of those kinds of things. And people, even the word egotistical, these words have like very negative, have a negative connotation. Yeah. But like this show explores what is it like to in the optimal, optimal moment, choose best for yourself first before you consider anyone else. And like, that sounds bad, but it's not saying don't, like you said, don't consider, like, don't stop considering other people. Don't harm other people. But, like, if your dream was right in front of you and your mind goes to, oh, but someone else would like it first, you're not doing good to yourself. And, like, that's that's also not good. But people don't always think about that. And so making the choice that, like, puts you in the place where you can achieve your dreams but also still be considerate for the other people around you and create collaboration and teamwork around you, I think that's, like, the kind of life I am trying to achieve. Because I think if it came down, if someone handed me my dream job, I would second guess whether or not I was fit for it whether or not someone else should have been asked first. And then if I got the job, I'd be like comparing myself to everyone who had been in the job before or even like anyone who could be in the job after me. And I'd be pushing myself so hardcore when I could just like be an egoist for a second, get the job and trust myself and like trust that I've made the best decision in the moment 
and that I will continue to make the best decisions for me and to do zero harm or do like the least amount of harm. Um, Just because like, I think people pleasers and yeah, anyone who's like a people pleaser, you were considering everyone else and everyone else's options before your own. And to have that kind of flipped, it's like I said, it sounds wild to be like, consider yourself, but it's not consider yourself always. It's consider yourself in the moments where that goal is right in front of you. No other time do you have to do that. But like in where it's right in front of you, think about yourself. And I think those moments are hinge points for everyone where you like literally could make a decision to, oh, I'm going to move to a different state or like, um, I am going to say yes to this partner or I am going to say yes to buying this house or I'm going to, I am going to go all in on like cutting my hair or like whatever. But those are usually hinge points in our life and whether or not we decide to do what's best for us or best for other people that can literally define an entire era of your life. Um, yeah, I don't know. The selflessness, I, I think there's a balance where you have to be mostly selfless and then do some selfish things because selfish doesn't always mean inconsiderate or bad. Mm-hmm. It but. can also just be a net good because uh, maybe like you said, like you're taking on the new job, like there, there needs to be a certain amount of self-assuredness or mm-hmm. confidence about yourself and not comparing yourself to those who have come before as you mentioned yeah there needs to be a kind of self almost like a self-clarity yeah so that you can identify the goals because what you mentioned about the hinge points is also key like i want to ask you like how do you identify the hinge points in your life like some people they they see something in front of them they don't actually know it's in front of them yeah i mean it's hard because I don't think I've come to a lot of them yet, but I think the few that I have, I feel it very deep in my gut. Like I get this feeling, oh, my life is about to change. And I feel it like the day before something big is going to happen. Or like if I get an email about something and I feel very, very strongly about it, I will like not be able to not think about that thing. Because for me in my mind, I know like, oh, this is a hinge point. Um, The first hinge point being like, the very first magic thing that I did. Um, I decided to go out and do it and it turned out to be a full, not good situation. But like after that, having people reach out to me and comfort me and like, let me know like, Hey, this is not how everyone is. And the moment that someone else reached out to me and was like, Hey, like I could have absolutely been like, Oh, this taught me about every, everything I need to know about the magic community. I'm done. But I didn't. And I knew it was a hinge point and I knew that I needed to think about, okay, this is one person compared to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who play magic. And how many of those people have ill intent for humanity? Very few, hopefully, (laughs) like a very small amount compared to the people who just want to enjoy the game. And it became a moment where I had to think and drill into it. And saying yes was not, like, it was not an easy thing to do, but I had to. And from that moment, like, that was a hinge point where it blossomed into me going to, like, L.A. to do more things. And uh, pivoted into even more opportunities for tabletop, even more opportunities for magic. And it's just been that ever since. But I felt it so deeply. Like, I had to think about it before I could even say yes and be like what is it? What's going on? Like, I feel like I can't breathe. And it's just a text. Like, it's just a text. What's going on here? Um, and it's, 
or even like moving. Uh, I went home for COVID and had to decide to get an apartment. It was a very, very long, grueling process where I had to really think about like, am I going to do this? Is this something I'm okay with? Um, it Would I not save more money by staying home? Should I just wait? Should I just whatever? And it was like, it took me a long time. But then I also get this impulse, like after I, uh, like I lament about it for like a little bit. And then I get an impulse where I'm like, I have to say yes right now. If I don't say yes right now, it will never happen. Um, and it's funny because I'm talking for a long time, but it's funny because I rock climb and I used to have a very big fear of heights. And I still do have a fear of heights uh, a little bit, but like the difference between the first time I try a route and being afraid of heights and the time where I get it is usually a quick breath and don't think about it, just impulse. Like I think about the height for so long that at some point I literally have to and go and keep going and I can get it. But it takes so much thinking and then stop the thinking, go. That's so interesting because typically when I, and I'm only speaking from personal experience, when I'm nervous or have anxiety about something, um, maybe it is similar. It's like, I, it is, it is like, you're not supposed to not think about it. You, mm -hmm. you actually do think about it. And for me, it's always about the negative visualization. Like you, mm -hmm. you, you, you say to yourself, like, what's the worst that could happen? Maybe a terrible example with context to heights, because <laughs> I'm talking about like going to a presentation or something. That's a totally different. Yeah, right? for sure. But, um, uh, that's why I want to dig into it is like, that sounds so hard is like to have a fear of heights and still get past it. But you said you basically think about it and then you stop thinking about it. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Like I have to yell at myself not to overthink. And sometimes it's, this is also lending to that. That's like, the whole like too self-aware and kind of thing. Yes. I'm way too self-aware because I think my mind goes, what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the best thing that could happen? And I have to sit there and think about everything I could possibly do. Um, everything. And I'll go try other stuff even. I, I think about so much and I overthink. And it's to the point that it like truly can claim my mind. It can overtake my mind to the point that I will go home and feel terrible that I didn't finish the route. Because I know the only thing standing between me and finishing the route, it had, especially if it has nothing to do with muscle, if it has nothing to do with skill, it has to do with me and one final hold and the height of like looking down and being like, how am I coming down? And it's very interesting because like my dad told me this story about me when I was a child, where on 4th of July, he put me, I was a kid, he put me on his shoulders and I, the fireworks were going off and halfway through the fireworks, he looks up and I'm bawling my eyes out. And he's like, what's wrong? And I was crying because I was enjoying, I was enjoying, I was enjoying. And at the second it flipped and I was like, how am I going to get down? And I got so anxious about how I was going to get down oh. off his shoulders that I couldn't enjoy anything. So he had to stop. Like he was trying to figure out what's going on. I'm bawling my eyes out. Fireworks are going off. I'm sensitive to sound. So it's like a whole thing. I, he takes me off his shoulders. And then he's like, it's just like this. And he does it. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> it was just like, like, that's what it is like. It's like overthinking, 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 enjoy, 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 overthink. I'm frozen. I'm stuck. And I found now that I've matured and I've gotten old enough to clarify what that feeling is. I can just like fully like take a deep breath or like do it when I don't, when I can't think about it. 
Like, I'm in the middle of a thought, interrupt. Or have other people start talking and then interrupt it and go and do my thing. Because I, I can't, literally cannot allow myself the, the, like, like I have to cut off the veins of overthinking, you know, before it even gets to me. But it's wild. It's, it's a wild, it's a very wild thing. And I think it's impossible, especially if you have anxiety, I think it's impossible not to overthink. Um, even if you aren't making the smartest decision, you're still overthinking about the not smart decision, <laughs> such as climbing while having a fear of heights. Like, not smart, but I still do it. How often do you climb now? It's like once a week or a couple times a week? A um, couple of times now. Um, I did it a lot in college and then COVID hit, and I just kept paying because <laughs> I was like, I don't want this place to shut down. Um, and then it didn't shut down, and I've been going back um, with friends. Like, I found a really good community to go with, and now I've been going like about two or three times a week, which is really fun. But yeah. It's How long have you been, been doing it? Is, is it like, have you, did you grow up kind of a, a very active sporty person? And this is like no. one of several things you've tried or? No, not at all. I grew up, my parents would not let me do sports because like I tried doing track once and I had like an asthma attack and I didn't have asthma. <laughs> like I just couldn't breathe. And they were like, what is going on? Like, I had to go to the hospital with the whole thing. I'm perfectly fine. And I turned out fine, but I just like was not an athletic kid. Um, and so they were like, no, like you can't do sports cause you're going to break your legs. You're going to not be able to breathe or okay. something. So you are not Serena Williams. Got no, it. absolutely not. I wanted so badly to be so badly. I did want to try sports, um, growing up, but it was just like a, a lack of resources and like all of the, and then them being afraid. Oh God. Um, yeah, that's a burger. He's, so uh, lovely. Always trying to get, always trying to get my attention. We, we have screen two. time. There's, yeah. Screen time. He's oh always he's always getting in the background, which is great. That's so. amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I didn't grow up sporty. I grew up playing music and like playing outside and stuff. And the extent that I did stuff was like I would go through like a ninja phase or like a spy phase where I was just like watching as many movies pertaining to the and then being like, I'm coming up with a training routine on how to do that. And it was just like me climbing a fence like going up and down the fence a bunch and then running around my house as many times as possible, like a little maniac as a kid. Um, but as I got older, I got, I started doing, uh, Oh my God. I started doing like a competitive dance thing. It's like competitive singing and dancing. Um, and it was super fun. I did that through high school, but like that was the extent musical theater. And that was like the extent of like athleticism as I went. Um, it really took me like getting out of the house, going to college to be like, oh, I can just go to a park and kick a soccer ball around. Like, I can just do that. That would be very fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now. So what what were some of the, the hinge points for you in college? Did you have Ooh. any? Yeah. Um, there was, like, this – there was definitely probably about two. And the first was probably, like, leaving a relationship I, sh I should not have been in. But I was so comfortable and it it was very messy specifically because I ignored the hinge point so many times. Like I had so, – it's like ignoring an exit you're supposed to go. And you keep seeing more exits. It's like, hey, it'll take you to the same place. It's just a little bit more time, a little bit more energy. And I kept ignoring it. And then I finally did it and it was very – like a very messy fallout because of how – 
obvious it should have been. And I have this rule for myself now, not even a rule, but just a saying now that the, the longer you wait to learn a lesson, the more expensive it is. Expensive being both like money aside, time, energy, uh, age, like, like truly you just start even like people, like all of those things, the longer you go to learn a lesson of like respect or, or a lesson of, claiming your time and like being cognizant of your own self the more you've gone without learning that lesson and you've just like spent okay well I, it took me from ages 21 to 29 to learn that lesson and i've wasted eight years living my life like that now what do i gotta do um or now what can i do so that was a lesson that was like very 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 expensive but uh definitely leaving that was a big hinge point and then there was another hinge point where it was specifically like having to do with like jobs after college. And it was an internship that I did not think that I could even do. Um, like I went to college for computer science and I am not the best coder in the world, but I do love coding. Um, and I love learning a lot and I love like coming up with projects and doing passion projects and stuff. And I went for this internship and I was like, the interview felt pretty good because I'm like a good talker. Like I love talking to people and I can be very like, I, I love just being amicable. Personable. Yes, I, I exactly. Exactly. Um, but I was like, I just don't know if my coding ability is going to get me through, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And there was like two spots for this internship. And I was like, oh, there's so many other students like in my class that would be good for this. Everyone else would be good for this. Nobody, like literally anyone else but me. Like the only good thing about me out of like everyone else, there's a couple of people in my class that were like actually personable, but a lot of computer science kids are like very like nerds. <laughs> they are. I, I studied computer science, so yeah. I know where you're coming from. Yeah. And so it's like, there were, I was like every, literally the only thing distinguishing me from all of these other people is that I like to code in my downtime as like a passion thing even though I'm not good at it and that I can talk to people. And that's like literally what ended up getting me my internship, which then got me a job, which then got me the job after college. And it's like, I felt that like, it was like a whole weekend of like, it was an interview on Friday and then they were like, we'll let you know by Monday or something like that. And I could not like eat, sleep the entire weekend. Cause I was just like, this is, this is going to be big. Like, I feel like this is bigger than I'm making it out to be. Um, and I had three jobs in college. So it's like, it's not like this was my first job or anything. Um, but it's but, something different now. This is, yeah, it felt, it truly felt different. It felt career defining and it felt like defining for myself. Like I knew that not only would it show everyone else, like, I think I am worth it, but also it proved to myself, you are pretty good at coding or like you are better than you think, or you're really not failing at this college thing. Like you're yeah. actually doing a good you're, job. You're, you're meeting the bar, if not higher. Yeah. Yes. And I knew encountering this situation, either way, it would have sent me feeling either really bad about myself. Um, and I would still have to learn the lesson of like being able to talk myself like into believing how good I was or I was going to leave being confirmed in something that I didn't think before, which was that I was good at what I do. Uh, and so it was like one of those things, it's a hinge point because I was like, I'm going to leave this with one of two beliefs about myself. And something's going to happen here. Something's yes. going to change. Um, yeah. 
So I think those were the main two. College was definitely, it was an interesting time for me where I was blossoming and growing and I wasn't really going out of my way to try new things for a very long time. Um, and those were like the main, those were like the main things. When I got to the end of college, I could really feel myself like, like literally blossoming just because I was just like, oh my God, like I can drink, like <laughs> I can drink now. Wow. This is wild. Or even just being like, I have a car. I can just go places. I can drive to the closest city and just see what is there. This is like the real world equivalent of like having new powers, right? Yeah. Like you, you have leveled up. So. Exactly. I'm like, whoa, I can do this now. <laughs> like, or even I can all, I always had the ability to do this, but like, I can really commit to it now. But now, now you know Kung Fu. Now, now you can. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I've got to ask: At what point did you did you officially come out to your to your to your family to your your friends? Was that during college? Was it before? Or how how did that work? It's during college, which was scary, and it was like a year after. Was that a hinge point? I don't know. It was, it was a hinge point. It was definitely a hinge point. I definitely felt that I should have said that as my hinge point because that's like a big one. But I think it happened between college. Like it was a summer between things um, or summer between like sophomore and junior year. Yeah, exactly. Off season. So I was just like, I kind of, I don't know. It was a, it was a weird experience where I was like, okay, something's literally something's going to happen here. Something's going to change here. And I think, um, fortunately for my family and for me my family is still very like religious and we had gone through some experiences like experiences I was not okay with having to do with like homophobia and stuff like that that like my parents were not perpetuating but like my family did and they were there and they were silent so I was like hey this is not cool even before I knew anything about myself I was like this is this doesn't feel good to be a part of um but Coming out to my parents, it happened after like a year after I broke up with that the person from the hit first hinge point. And it was just something I was like, hey, I want you to know that happened and this is who I am and um you know love you. <laughs> love you so much. I can't change anything about it. I really wish that I could. Um but this is just a journey that I've been going on and I would love for you to be a part of it with me. And my mom did the thing, like, everyone does, everyone's parents, like, not everyone's parents, but, like, a lot of people go through and they're, like, their parents are, like, yeah, we knew. Um, but my mom kind of took that where she was, like, I already knew. And also, like, I love you no matter what. Um, my dad took it a little harder, but I don't know. I don't think it's, I think the thing is you will spend the rest of your life coming out to people, like, every single day. And I don't think it's. I think it's important that they accept me and they have accepted me, but I think it's also something that like, it was a hinge point. Cause I knew like just something was going to change. Like I was still living with ha- them during this like period of downtime. I had a job, but I was like using their car to get to and from the job. It was one of those things where I was like, I'm still very dependent on them. And so to say something right now, like, why should I say something right now? But it was a thing deep in my heart. I was like, I know I have to say something. I know I have to speak up about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely so was changed. So yeah. was it similar to other situations where you just felt like, okay, I can't let this 
go unsaid any any longer. Yes. And I do that a lot. I do that a lot. <laughs> Where I get I get very fed up with like not saying something or I get very fed up with myself like how it feels to have that truth in me and not share it with other people. Mostly cuz I think it's unfair. Um and that comes from a position of like privilege when it comes to like I know my parents would not like react like violently or kick me out of their house or anything like that that is not the same for a lot of queer people um but i knew that that was out like when we think of like in our minds okay what's the best thing that could happen and what's the worst thing that could happen i knew i could at least get rid of that as like a worst thing that could happen mm. um but like i think there's this... still that uncertainty it doesn't matter yeah you know, exactly whether what you're to say it bluntly, like what your min-max is in terms mm -hmm. of like best case, worst case. Exactly. There's always going to be the uncertainty. And are you just, just inside, are you going to be, am I going to be accepted? Yeah. That's who I am. Yep. Because I think that's the biggest thing. That's always been my thing. Like, even when I was the little like pastor's kid, like it wasn't everything that I did. And I think I struggle now. Like I, I am a master, like I am a jack of all trades master of none and that is specifically because like growing up i wanted to juggle so many different things because i wanted to find something new and shiny that i could do that could catch their attention because i wanted them to accept me and it's like now i'm an adult and i'm like okay the reason i can't be quiet about this is because i want them to accept me and i want them to love me and i don't want a day to go by i don't want them something to happen to either of them and they didn't know who i was truly um and that's definitely a very like sensitive thing and something not a lot of people think about and something that people think about and don't like want. Like there are people in my family that I'm like, you don't have to know anything about me. You have no right to know who I am truly. And like, that's something I've come to learn. But for them, the two of them specifically, how integral they were to my like upbringing and growing up, it's just been very, very, it was very formative in that moment. Yeah. I, I can tell that even though, you know, you're you're very candid about it now, but I can still tell that as you're recalling going back in time, there's the emotions are just coming out again, right? Yeah. You're just I, you you're you're pre presenting yourself well right now, but I can definitely tell at the time it was not, it was it was it was a lot harder. It was a big, it was a very big deal, especially I was the good kid, like I was the air quotes good kid, like I was the oh I'm going to college, I'm like getting all A's and I'm never skipping class and I'm doing all of these things. And I got, I did the major they wanted me to do. Like I was like, for sure. Computer science was like 46% my idea. <laughs> Everything else okay. was like family, parents, whatever. So it was like that thing where I was doing literally everything normal. I was still a part of like Christian groups. Cause I was like, I, I still want to donate my time in this way. And I still at that point in time, like believed in that and still, it was very involved, um, but it just was something where I was like, why, <laughs> why, why? Um, and I had to just do the thing. I had to do the thing that was the hardest in the moment. But like I said, me and my mom are like, my parents were like very close and me and my mom are able to have very, very structured conversation. And like one of the biggest things that we've done is like, I was like, hey, I don't know if I can be a part of the religious part of your church, but I do think that you have the space for a community center. And we were able to start a diaper bank and they like hit like a million diapers this last year where they were able to give out that many diapers oh, wow. to the community. Yeah. And it's just one of those things I'm like, okay, 
that could have never happened if I didn't have that conversation. And if they didn't know someone so close to them and they absolutely shouldn't have to, it shouldn't have to be like, Oh, someone close to me is having going through this situation, which is why I'm able to empathize. But like, there's just a lot about our everyday lives that like without empathy and without like being exposed to some of those things, like it truly, especially in Ohio, like, I don't know. Like I, I, I make that excuse for my parents only because it's Ohio outside of that. I'm like, no, like it's very hard to not see how the world is going. Um but yeah, I think it was it was definitely a hard point in time, but it's it was a hinge point and it changed everything and it made a lot of things harder, but it also made a lot of things easier and I wouldn't be able to be where I am today if I hadn't have done it. The harder thing was it the was it at that point that you broke off from the church or was it is it more complicated than that? I think it's a little more complicated because I didn't break off from the church for a while, like a very long while. Like I was still going to church. I was still trying. I was testing out new churches, like driving to a new church every Sunday because I would sit and hear and listen and enjoy what I was hearing and stuff like that. And then it would get to that fateful day where they're like gay people bad. And I was like, okay, cool. I got to go. Can't be here. All right, I'm out. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And I was just like, okay. And I, I think that there's a part of me that's still like, and also just started seeing like, a lot of the institutions that the ch capital C church partakes in outside. It's not just the institution of church. They're also participating in capitalism. And then I had to think about myself and be like, okay, would the guy that walks around in the Bible be okay with capitalism? Let's ask that question. Cause he went to a marketplace and flipped over tables. Cause he was like, this is not chill. So if like he came back tomorrow and he saw this, what would, what would, what would w, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally. And so. it's like, you don't have to be religious or faithful to think about like, okay, does this like what, who benefits from this? And I took a very sociological ask, like, a viewpoint on the church and stepped back that took a super long time and that group that i was in for three years like that was a church group that i was playing i was literally singing in the worship band and playing guitar for them because i was so like i was so clinging to that life that i had before and i felt bad leaving it alone and i also felt bad making them go find someone new and i didn't want them to know what was going on but i also knew i wouldn't be accepted like first year and a half there I was like having a good time but then it just hit me I was like wait nobody else here would like me if I truly told them what who, like who I was and it just the facade that started just to hit crumble. you like a ton of bricks exactly or right? immediately started to crumble especially because like there was just a part of me this talk is getting so personal and I love it um there was a part of me that was this like why I do it so I hope you're oh, okay yeah, with it I love it like I think with religion, a lot of people feel like they will like be resulted to like resorted to tears because of like how they perceive God to move in them. And I always found that like when I was playing, when I was singing, I would inspire those in it, reactions in people. And I was like, so what's the difference? Like none of you know who I truly am. And you're still able to feel that. But the second that I tell you something's going to change for you and it's not me. And it's not capital G God. 
It's you and it's your perception. It's your response to yeah, it. Yeah, yes. exactly. And I was like, so then how much of the reaction to God and like what people are saying God wants and things like that, how much of that is the personal human reaction and perception of like what they perceive God wanting of them? You know, and I don't know. I don't ever want to invalidate people's experiences. And I am not one to be like Christianity shouldn't exist. I think the institution of church has some work to do. I think individuals, everyone is going to everyone's on a journey somewhere and we will all find uh, the end of our journey, uh, hopefully with a life that we're proud of. And if that includes Christianity, if that includes Buddhism, if that includes um, Zoroastrianism, like whatever it is perfect um but i think for me it just got to the point that everything started crumbling and i was like the second you look at this like the second my perception and my eyes looked at this anyone else probably couldn't convince them um and i'm not trying to convince anyone but i think like for me in my experience i started looking at these things and being a little bit more critical and what was surrounding me started to crumble and i couldn't I just couldn't like lie to myself anymore. I couldn't spark inspiration or like feel joy anymore because I would just immediately feel, oh, someone's going to turn. And I, I think that's definitely persisted in the Christian church, not uh, everywhere. Um, because like I said, I've been philosophizing and like I read a lot of philosophy. I read a lot about like what people think um if god is real or not and what people think and like what people think god should and shouldn't be able to do and if god is real what does he say about facebook like things like that you know um but it's interesting because like i feel like judaism does a great job of like establishing a relationship with god that isn't a facade like doesn't feel like a facade i think islam like i think Buddhism, Islam, like all of these other people, like we've all, everyone else has found that like your experience on this earth matters and like doing no harm mm. while you're on this earth matters. And it feel, it felt to me like the Christian church like ignored that and wanted to ignore that and consistently continues to ignore that. Um, and that's not, like I said, individuals, it's just like capital C institutional thing. Um, and I don't know, I just, I just could, especially growing up as a pastor's kid, gave me a specific perspective of like being behind the scenes, being behind the closed doors as a child and everyone thinks you're going to forget and you don't, you never do. Um, things like that, that I'm like, hmm, hmm, I feel like I have a little bit more perspective than most people. Uh, and for me to ch choose to divert, I'm like, yeah, okay, this, I, I'm not doing it baselessly of like, oh, I just want to go drink and have fun. Like I can do that uh, anywhere at any point in time while partaking in any religion I want. <laughs> but I think it just mattered a lot that I had been behind closed doors and found joy in the capital C church for a long time and just had to break off. So I feel like it definitely was a little bit more compl complex, complicated. I think telling them was the hardest thing. I was, I will say I wasn't afraid of like what they would do. Cause I, like I said, I'm a very protective defensive person. And at that point I was like, I need to protect me. Um, but after that, it took a while to break off the, 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 the piece of me that was like, hey, I'm not participating in this anymore. But here's what I will do. Here's how I will support you. Because I still, I still love that you believe. And I love that that allows you to love, like, fully. That, that, that gives you this power to love fully. Like, continue doing what you do. But here's where I'm going to partake from. And we still have a lot of debates. But 
they're never in a harmful way that's like, I'm trying to change your mind. It's just usually information, like figuring out what does this actually mean? And like, what, what do we do? Because at the end of the day, if you're really pursuing it, it should be more of a philosophy thing. Like it should be a philosophy of life rather than a, like a, a thing you do, like, you know, or a thing that you use to almost like a number, if that makes sense, like a thing you use to numb everyday life by being like, well, it doesn't matter because this, this, this truth exists. And it's like, why don't you drill in on the truth and do more to like figure it out? Cause no one can deny it. If you find out the truth and it's actually there, like everyone's looking for that. So like, you should, you should do, you should do the work and try to find it yourself, you know? But it's definitely a complex I, thing. <laughs> I'm nodding along so much in this conversation because I feel like there are just so many parallels. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I, I grew up in Canada. I was born in Taiwan. I live in mainland China now, but mm -hmm. in some ways I feel like our experience, we're different gender, but I feel like in some ways, like there are some, there are some similarities. Like for yeah. example, I often, I, I still struggle with this. It's like the, the role of the institution of, religion whether it's uh catholicism or mm -hmm. christian worship like i'm a ve i'm very much like maybe this comes from thinking about things a lot which i know you do as well is i tend to both sides a lot of things mm -hmm. because i think on the one hand we shouldn't support structures that are very binary like black and white mm -hmm. like this is good this is evil but on the other hand i think there's something very comforting in comfort there's yeah. something very comforting in that community you know there's a world that existed way before us uh before we were alive held up over centuries millennia where this brought people together mm -hmm. and this made people whether you believe it's an objective truth or not it made them happy it made them feel like they were part of something yeah and we can't deny that this thing made us who we are mm -hmm. so it's hard for me to sit here and just be like today i'm going to reject everything yeah. like i don't go to church i'm not practicing but i see a lot of validity in that yep. and i see that it brings people together i've been to you know my friends who are who have christian worship i've been to some of their um their events yeah. and they're great people and one of my best friends is is is, is christian mm -hmm. and we don't really talk about church but he's a great person mm -hmm. so i can't really like just sit here and just say like church bad mm -hmm. you know other stuff good like yeah. it's just so it's so hard for me to to sit here and say that and i think that's also the one thing you said in another interview which is like the great thing about being a dungeon master or like doing content or storytelling is that you are trying to teach people that things are nuanced things are things are complicated mm -hmm. things are not twitter takes yeah right? so yeah. that that's so like i know i'm kind of rambling now but it's like no it's there's so there's so much relatable things with what you just said yeah and i think like at the end of the day my brain wants to i i would rather credit like if the individual is doing harm criticize the individual but the institution is usually doing harm which the institution is allowing, like institution yep. and system is allowing. Institution is consisted of certain individuals or individuals who are in power, which then form the basis for what exactly. happens. Like yeah. if you think of Christianity or anything like that, like as an MLM, like a, a, a what's it called? Multi- Multi-level marketing. marketing. Yeah, where it's a pyramid scheme and there's people at the top 
criticizing the people at the top who are benefiting the most, you wouldn't go up to a person who is struggling to take care of their children and saw it as a new opportunity to make separate income and now they're just trying to do it because like the studies have shown mlms and pyramid schemes in general are usually made up of like a white elite and then a bunch of people of color at the bottom who are all trying to make it work because they they are pandered and told like not pandered to but they are basically told this can be different for you like you've got this you've got some spark that will make you different and it's like it is no one at the bottom's fault that they were pulled into this because they saw an opportunity they found comfort they like any of that kind of stuff it is the people at the top's fault for creating a system that that makes those people at the bottom do what they have to do so i think in my mind i'm not i don't judge individual like i have friends who are christian i don't judge them at all if they aren't doing harm because i think in the end like the capital c church used to be the place where like during the civil rights era uh people would go to hear about where they were striking next and where you were boycotting next and where the next movement was going to happen where the next riot was going to happen it wasn't like you said it brought people together and it's not and it wasn't always surrounding the idea of christ or god or anything like that it was social and communal good and so at the it end of the day, it was a community, basically. Exactly. Yeah. It was a community. And it does not help that though there was community there, there were always people in the back standing over those communities ready to like push it in the direction they want it to go. And there's always someone who's benefiting from people getting together and doing that kind of stuff. I think like I am way more willing to criticize a uh, a, a an institution, a company, a business uh and a structure than i am to criticize anyone individually because i think the system the like system is doing way more harm than the individual is doing um if the individual is doing any harm at all if the person is there for me to critique right in front of them i'm gonna call them out but like i think in general like all i can do is go to my parents and be like and go to the people they go they, they talk to and be like hey are you doing anything in your community? Like, do people, like, you have a big church you could go, or not even big, but, like, you have a pretty interesting place. You could have kids camps. You could have, like, a place where kids can go and get food. You can have a place where people go and watch movies and, uh, like, homeless shelters. You can do diaper banks, whatever. Like, all I can do is make sure that they're changing um, in that way. But I think overall, like, I'm not, I don't know. I think I'm responsible for the overall good. Um, but I think that there's also a part to it too that is just like, usually people are just doing what's best for them um, and what's comforting usually. to them. Usually. Yeah. Um, there are so many harmful people out there, but there are also just a lot of people that want to self-soothe and use religion as a tool of self-soothing. And that's perfectly fine. Um, mm. Like you said, we're, or like, like, like I said, we're all on a journey and like, we just want to have a comfortable pillow to lay our head on and like yeah i i don't know yeah Life's religion's pretty complicated hard, so yeah it's, yeah it's, <gasps> it's good to have those things that to anchor yourself whatever yeah. they may be um i struggle with it though because i think you kind of touched on it there's a there's a whole question of like complicitness right mm -hmm. when you participate in it even if you're doing it by your own good intentions and you're trying to come at it with the right intention you're still complicit in certain structures or institutions, right? Whether it's like uh, to use to use some 
examples, like whether it's in the church, whether it's, um, uh, you know, playing a tabletop RPG that mm -hmm. is created by maybe a corporate entity that you don't necessarily agree with their, yep. their values, yep. uh, whether it's being on like a streaming platform that like you may not agree with some of its values. So it's like, how do you, how do you see all that? You know, maybe, maybe from more like a creator perspective, you know, like yeah. are there things that make it hard for you. Definitely. I think every single day you have to balance with like, like I really love to show the good place because it talks about like the idea that we're all doing harm implicitly like we we aren't thinking about like the clothes on our backs or the the like the fact that like something we did inadvertently led to something else bad happening and what if all of that were tallied up and could anyone ever really go to like the good place like no one could ever really go to the good place because even if you're going out of your way to be nobel peace prize winner there are some heads you have to step on to get to the Nobel Peace Prize winner. And are you like ever actually, is anybody actually really good? Um, and all we can do is care for each other day to day. So it's like, it's really hard because I think with companies participating, especially in content creation, one, I don't think humans are meant for content creation. I think this is a very new thing. And just like celebrity dumb, like like finding like celebrity status stuff, nobody's meant to deal with that. Um, I'm nodding along so hard to this. Right yeah. Now. And this is like something I've examined a lot recently. And there's this like, there's this podcast I listen to called Overthink and <laughs> always overthinking. That sounds you know? like something I should listen to <laughs> yeah. as well. And they, they, they take modern topics and dissect it philosophically. Um, and they talked recently about influencers and, and whether or not influencers are good or bad and whatever. And it, it's like, Sadly, I sit in the pocket of people who are in other people's eye and yep. I as I am someone I do like that, but I also understand there's so much backlash to that and not even just backlash. I hate that word because it sounds like so like pretty boy like, oh, there's if I say something, there's going to be backlash. I don't care about backlash. I care about yeah. harm and like. Yeah. For example, long term like, effects on people. Right? Exactly. Like, I think bad is a company that makes money off of people of color um or even like i think to an extent there are mean in, an, in an exploitive sense right? exploitative Maybe. sense yes like i think watsi is a wonderful like like not wonderful i think watsi has made something wonderful and the people inside watsi have made something wonderful with dnd with magic and i love to partake in those things i think where the line is drawn for me like where I think I would say there is absolutely nothing here is if I could not find any personal joy and I could not bring any personal joy to anyone else with those things. So the whole point of homebrewing and, and coming up with your whole thing is I'm going to detach from the original idea and just use the bones because there is there are stories to be told and there are fantasies to be lived, fantasies that... Yeah, there are a billion other systems. There are a billion other ways to go about it. And believe me, I think everyone who said that, it's funny because people say that a lot. Like, oh, just play something other than D&D. I have. And I'm trying. I'm actively trying. There's not enough time in the day to play every single system. But, like, the fact that it's analog, like, people know it. And we can make deeply impact. Like, the amount of streamers, like, look at the most popular D&D streamers and the most popular, like, even Dimension 20. Those people, they're not all white people, like rich white people. 
So, like, it would be different if all rich white people were benefiting off of this game. Most of the people who are streaming D&D and most of the people who are benefiting from D&D are, I mean, there's obviously, like, one group. But, like, everyone else usually queer. Like, Dimension 20 is a perfect example. You have, oh, yeah, like, white guy at the at the top of it. But then there's, like, literally everyone else is queer or neurodivergent or, like, some even like age differences there's like just so much diversity and people who are streaming kind of lower like we're not streaming huge million dollar productions but those people who are streaming and just like choosing to go live every wednesday or like tuesday or whatever and they're telling their impactful deep stories with their friends that are changing their lives and giving themselves the vaccine for everyday life by like introducing these hard things in a fantastical way, that's not something that a company can rip away from me. And that's something I could, if I couldn't do that, then I would walk away because there's no point because I've lost the point of all of storytelling in general, which is to tell a story that resonates with me, that resonates with others and changes our hearts or at least like touches our hearts. Um, and there's just like so little these days that is able to do that um that is straight out of a crock pot like you get it out of like straight out of the book like you really have to touch these things and really interact with story um so i think like even with a content creation thing it's that idea of like cool a company paid me to do this great but i have it's got to go through the filter of me and my ideas and my beliefs and my thoughts so it's like mm -hmm. that thing where the company i i don't believe in working with like completely morally corrupt companies i do not like to do that at all um i do know some people like literally have to make a check and some people literally like don't have a nine to five job that they can like lean on or anything like that like content creation is their thing and that's another whole thing but i think me personally i just try not to work with brands that are morally corrupt um try not to work with anyone that is like it, like I, I think if i can derive personal enjoyment in a way that does not directly route people back to the original thing i think i've completed something um but yeah i think i would be remiss if i were to like blatantly say like just never never play anything that's bad never just don't play bad games don't play because you wouldn't you couldn't have anything like you couldn't play fifa you couldn't play tears of the kingdom you couldn't play mario you couldn't like do anything because everything is built on like blood sweat and tears sadly in one way or another and right there's and just... we couldn't do this interview because then you yeah. have to use the internet you'd have to you'd have to use yep. a computer you'd have to like how how far does it go right exactly and it's like you can double in on yourself so many times you're infinitely screwed in this lifetime like if you really want to think about like is everything you do good or bad you can be infinitely screwed over and over and over thinking about how far back the trace of bad goes um that has to the point where it has nothing to do with you at some point it's all quantum quantum physics and stuff and it's like literally just like okay two atoms like not even two atoms but atoms came together created me <laughs> And then a series of choices and events happened from that point on, or series of choices and events created the earth that created the environment that created the world that created the city that created this, like, you know, all the house that, you know, whatever. And you can continue doing that forever. But I think at some point you have to take a step back and be like, where is my joy at? 
And does my joy have anything to do with this company? Um, and I don't know. I think still doing the harm and the good from that, branching from that, because I think there's definitely a way to be selfish. Like that's the selfish thing of being like, I can still do this and I can find personal joy in it and be different and not, not perpetuate the ideas of the original bad thing. But then it's from there. Okay. But am I going to perpetuate the bad ideas or am I going to go off in my own direction and find a way to break this? That still makes me happy. Um, Cause yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes you should choose yourself. I think sometimes every once in a while, every once in a while. It is a very tough balance. Yeah. And I, there, there's, there's, it's just impossible to answer. Yeah. At the end of the day, you have to selectively use the ignorance is bliss principle mm -hmm. and you have to just be at 51% peace with yourself. Yes. Like it's never going to be a 100%. perfect thing. Um, people are looking at like, what you said about we're not meant to be creators or influencers, that's so true. Like, I, I don't think our loser brains are are able to comprehend, like, the thousands of, like, named and unnamed people that are just dropping things on us. Like, you should do this. Yes. Lexi shouldn't do that. Like, have you thought about this? Mm -hmm. um, have you thought about that? I think this is right. This other person says, I think this is completely wrong. Yeah. Like, we just can't process that as humans. Even just, just being so under constant watch. Like the idea yes. that like it's like a it's like a self-imposed surveillance. Almost. It is. And we and I think like where people lose empathy is that we choose to become an influencers. We choose to become content creators. But I think there's a part of me too, like if you could do if you could be the best you could be at something, would you not be the best? Like, I want to perform on stages. I want to be, like, I went into computer science, but I love musical theater. I love performing. I love acting. I love all of that kind of music, everything like that. The reason I chose D&D &D and tabletop in general is because it scratched that itch of, like, the logical part of world building mixed with, oh, I get to do cool voices and I get to be It's a very, dynamic. like, interesting, multidisciplinary thing. Yeah. That's what people often don't recognize about TTRPGs because they get stuck on the level one of mm -hmm. this is a, a fantasy game where you like hang out with your friends and roll some dice. It's not like that. This is exactly. this is simply a vessel for storytelling yeah. for this. Um, actually, what you called in, a, in, a, in another interview, you called DMing like a kind of service, right? And now yeah. I'm just like connecting the dots because like there is, would you say there's a little bit of you that's like, service oriented and maybe people pleasing and that translates to being a dungeon master or exactly DM. that's exactly it like i think there is a part of me that wants to deliver the exact story that someone didn't know they needed like my favorite moments are the moment after that's the, that's the pleasure that's the exactly joy, right? like the moment after i finish a session and everyone's like whoa like, because they, they thought they knew how a story was going to go, or even they knew how the story was going to go, but playing it out with me there was different and could not have happened any other way. Like surpassing expectations that they had yeah. on maybe themselves on yeah. what they had. Yeah. And I think like telling stories is very natural. And I don't think like, I'm not, I don't, I think the one thing I want to clarify is that I'm not saying like the people who stream it and the people, yeah, the people who are famous for it are the best at what they do. I know plenty of, like one of my favorite DMs is a guy who he streams campaigns, but he like does not, he's not in it to be like a Matt Mercer or like in it for any, any of that kind of stuff. He just like 
wants to tell stories and loves that he can tell stories with his friends. And he's one of the best DMs I've ever had. And it like, it's, it's wild because there's so many people out there like that, that I will run into them at a store and be like, Oh my God, I'm enamored with your like story. Unsung heroes or heroines. Exactly. Basically. But I think that that's also a thing too, where like, we're just going in two different directions. Like I could have played D and D and ran D and D. And if I was someone who did not enjoy the stage, I would have just done the normal personal, like, I am happy to just tell stories with my friends and tell as many stories as possible and that kind of thing. But I'm someone who enjoys the stage, so I took a, a diversion. And so from here on out, it sucks because, like, that diversion was into content. Not sucks. I don't want to say that. But, like, the diversion was into content creation. It was into, like, I want to be seen and I want to share my stories and I want to, like bring myself to the people and share myself with them and hopefully same as if i was playing a game at home with a few friends i want all of those people to have watched this story and watched that part of me that i put out there and leave changed in a good way and it's like there's no difference in skill between me and someone who's doing it at home for their friends it's just the intent and that's also another reason why content creation influencing is not natural and normal because like it's just not something that was an option before um right and now you can just hit stream on twitch and do it and that is wonderful and the accessibility for everyone is wonderful i also think that it puts immense pressure on you to put yourself out as a product um yes and therefore you end up working with people you don't want to or even just like saying yes to everything like what I did when I first came in say, say yes to everything because you think it'll open up into an opportunity and you just never know, but it leads you to make irrational decisions because you're yes. trying to be seen. You're trying to do this thing. You're trying to make yourself a product. Yes. Um, it, it has commoditized who we are as people. Mm -hmm. And I will be lying to you if I said I didn't care about how many people are going to listen to this episode or how many views is going to get on YouTube yeah. or you know, I don't think any creator is honest when they say they don't read the comments or they don't look at the numbers. Like you have to be extremely, you almost have to be like wired completely, built completely different to not care about these things for the vast majority of us. Yeah. That's what we are like. There's been structures created where we have to think about it now. Yep. Like we, it's, it's designed that way. Yeah. And it's cause I'm a little bit older than you. I'm, I'm in my early forties. I should say I'm a lot older than you, but <laughs> I remember a time when we didn't, I didn't go to school with a laptop. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a mobile phone. Like I got these things when I was in my early twenties, right? Because that yeah. was when the internet era was starting. And that just feels like an aeon ago now. Yeah. That I just, and, and I, not to be like old man on the hill, but it's like, I, I think it's even, it must be even harder for folks who like grew up with a, a mobile phone in their hand, like how does one even process it? Like I, I I'm completely brainwashed into Twitter and, and social and yeah. content. And I had a world before that. Yeah. So how does one even begin? You know, it's impossible. It's impossible. It truly is. And I think it's something like people on Broadway, people in the performing arts, they're used to this kind of thing. And they still don't have it figured out. Like, they still right. have... They're, we're just now getting the care technicians on 
sets to make sure that performers are taken care of. Um, there was this very interesting like mini documentary about a Shakespeare company that was doing like an all black production. I think it was Macbeth or Hamlet. Um, but there was an actual like person on like part of the company that was important, just as important as the, like the dramaturge, just as important as the director who's making sure that everyone is like, when you leave because your body doesn't know how to not react like you in your mind you're saying i am playing a character who is going through heartbreak but sadly those thoughts convince your body and your mind like that it's going through heartbreak and then you get home it's the same thing like, your brain is feeling it yes exactly and it's like theater people have started to figure it out and they've started getting resources there are not a lot of resources for people who are content creators and streamers, especially if you did not have a life before. I did. I, I was like a, I'm like a, uh, I'm a Gen Z, I think I am, um, where I was like play outside to the lights turned on, but also we had VHS tapes that then turned into DVDs that then turned into CDs that like not even CDs, but DVDs that turned into streaming, whatever. Like I had a cell phone very later on in my childhood, but I also was like, a kid that grew up watching like Rugrats and stuff like that. So like there's, I was like half in half out and yep. it's been hard because like I grew up being like, Oh, I want to be a celebrity. And then halfway through my life, becoming a celebrity became very easy because YouTube it existed and you just had yep. random people getting famous. on. That's YouTube. the positive part of it is like, it has empowered people to yeah. like, like for example, Nathan who interviewed you, mm -hmm. like this is amazing. And I feel like maybe like a decade ago, he wouldn't even be able to have, his own TTRPG thing, his own yeah. podcast, and just show the world what an amazing talent and voice he is. Yeah. And it's just like that democratization of that's the good. But then but then along with the good comes the whole like nobody's really trained on how to process all this stuff, right? Yeah. And it's I think it's a it's another thing where the same way with with theater your brain, you play as if you are, you know, heartbroken or like going to murder someone or have just been murdered or whatever. And your mind can't turn it off. Your mind, your heart doesn't know how to turn it off. Your body doesn't know how to stop reacting. Now we have a generation of people who stream on Twitch and you play games with people and you're laughing and you're having the time of your life. And for tabletops, was it like magic? I think it's, you're just playing with people. That's great. Tabletop, you're literally putting on another skin. It's, it's to a whole do it. another level. And then it's you not, hit, yeah. yeah. Then you hit end call, and you're sitting there in your room, and your dog's barking, and you've you're in a messy room, and you're. It's back like you in were reality. just in this like simulation exactly. of something real, which is real in your head, yeah. and it becomes real, and then suddenly you're just like drop shipped back into like this this cold sterile room. I mean, I, maybe your room is not cold and sterile, but like I'm just trying to make a make the analogy right yeah exactly yeah, and it's, it's like i don't think abrupt. that yeah i don't i don't think like i think there are not a lot of resources i have a friend um my friend uh they're on twitter as at scalar scalar sailor scout austin they're like a, a therapist like a real life therapist who talks about therapy and like bringing your healthiest self to tabletop and has really helped me establish my own rituals. But there was a period of time where I went to my therapist and I was like, I don't know if you can help me with this, but I feel so alone. Like I feel so alone because I play games with my friends and then I hit end stream and I'm just sitting there and I'm back to real life. And it's like, it's I'm not so connected, but I'm so alone. I'm so alone. Yeah. And it's like, that's what social media has done. 
and good definitely like good and bad good and bad happening there and i think like sadly as content creators because we want to be seen and it's not it's it stinks to even say it like that but it's like the same drive that drives someone to the stage um you want to be seen you want people to be changed because of what you do and you also want to be changed. There, there's that ego in there like yeah. i believe that what i say matters i believe that my voice is valuable therefore i want to be seen or to be heard right yeah um truly that's exactly it and i i think that's like i like we said that's not bad but it's something that we have in us and i think to be un to be like to lose empathy for people who choose that is not okay um and i think on top of that like it would be like me being like oh you want to be a coder and you want to go code for a big company like why would you do that like how when it's like sometimes going to a bigger company and coding at a bigger company is how you actually get your hands on like the next tech that's coming or how you start actually being more creative because you have to do it in a very short timeline um fairly exploitative same exact way like not same exact way but like very similar to content creation where a lot of it is exploitation of the self in order to like benefit or just or just hashtag capitalism yes exactly but i think like that's like if it brings you joy to be in the forefront of your uh area then i think like content creation and having to do what we do is tough but it's like very similar um and i think it's like i'm I'm trying to clarify it's not that coding is the same as content creation or like content creators go through the same thing that people in nine to five jobs go through but they're different experiences and it comes around to like we're all on a journey and we all like some people would like to be seen some people want themselves to be seen and really enjoy that idea and enjoy the idea of sharing and like i wouldn't go off on a screenwriter or like a someone who's like behind the scenes but like their stuff is getting put on like a playwright like someone who's writing the thing that gets put on and then they go and watch their thing get put on like you wouldn't yell at them for like being excited about their thing being put out there but like i think content creation is very similar thing specifically in tabletop where it's like we have ideas not a lot of money so we have to we literally have to make ourselves into a product so people can take a chance on us to start you know getting some of the productions of the stories out there for sure yeah and i i think creators are are different but i feel like i do it because i want to be I want to be seen. I want to be heard, but I also do it because I want the guest to be seen, yeah. the guest to be heard. And for me, it's very simple. Like, yeah, sure. I could do this interview with you and publish it to three of my friends and that's it. Um, and I think there would be a lot of satisfaction in it. For example, I enjoy the moment doing it right now in the moment, but I'm also kind of egotistical or selfish or whatever you want to call it. Like I want it to scale. Mm-hmm. I want it to use a software term. I want it to go out to as many people as I can, because I feel like what you have to say in this episode is going to touch somebody, yep. right? Or what you and I are doing in terms of an exchange is going to touch somebody. And yep. I would rather go out to 10,000 people than three people. Yep. And, and that's why I'm a creator. But I have to accept that in that act of intentionally wanting to scale, I have to deal with the the internet. I have to have people comment on it in a good and a bad and an ugly way and it's just 
I guess the question here is like, have you considered doing taking your storytelling like and just making some of it private? Because I've I've thought about sometimes it's like, okay, what if I interview someone whom I'm curious to interview, but maybe there's no redeeming quality from the interview because that person is toxic or whatever it is, but I'm just really curious. Should I just do it anyways? And just um, like, you know, if a tree fell in the forest, should I just not release it? Have you thought about doing, I'm not saying you're gonna, you're gonna do anything toxic. I'm, this is a terrible analogy, but I'm just <laughs> saying, have you thought about like doing content that's just private or maybe yeah. just going back to being a DM that's only doing it in their store and just not turning the camera on? Yeah. Or, like there's something, there's almost something like pure about it now in this mm -hmm. day and age of doing that, right? Yeah. And I do. I do. I have like two home games that alternate on Tuesdays that are like my game that I'm like, one is an in-person that I'm like, if I'm going to use You've my You've done dice, it. you made it. you now made it public. You have uttered it. Into I know. I know. It joking. exists now. <laughs> um, but like I have an in-person game and I have a like online game with some other tabletop creators in the space that are just like, it's just us. Like, truly just us. And then one of my friends from, like, real life that plays in both. Um, she's my everything. But truly, like, taking back storytelling for myself. And also, like, something I like to do. I like to write. I like to write scripts. So that's also something that I do for myself that I don't. I don't sell them. I don't post them. I also don't finish them. So it's okay. Like, it's not for anyone else. They, they haven't been made me. into movies yet. Exactly. Like in, into the public sphere, right? Exactly. Okay. So a lot of them is, a lot of it is like finding ways to take my time for myself and take back my creativity. Um, and I think I do a lot of DMing for other people, but a lot of what I do is thinking about like my world, like my Strix U campaign it's Strixu, like Strixu exists, Strixhaven exists in Magic, it exists in D&D, &D, but also like something very interesting about Strixu, you will notice that some of the players have dropped little bits of lore into the episodes, especially like the season that's coming out, because some of them are playing in the world. So I found a way to take it out of Arcavios, which is the world that they made for uh, Strixhaven, for like in Watsi made for Strixhaven. And I've put it into my world and established its own history. And so for some of the people I'm like, like most of the day- It's now a, it's now a living organism that's like- That connects to me, thing. like my own thing, rather than it being like a thing that's for everyone else. Like I'm just DMing this because it's- it's a standalone thing. It's like, no, this is going to actually change my world and change how my players view my world. And so there are some players that are like, does Strixhaven exist yet? And like, they'll play in my world and they're like, does Strixhaven exist? And I'm like, no, actually it's a little floating tiny island over here and the dragons haven't found it yet. So like, good luck trying to figure out where the, when that's gonna happen. Or like, I'll be like, oh, this is a post Strixu era. So like, whatever. And it's like a very fun thing that now, like, I've made Strixhaven from this book that was put out and from the cards that were put out. I've turned it from that into being something that is a literal canon in my world that I can talk about and it not be attached to a company. It's attached to me. And like in order to understand and know the story and be able to predict anything about Strixhaven, you can't like have read the books or just played the game and sit down at my table and be like, I know Strixhaven. No, you have to know me. You have to like go through the filter of me and have how to know I've you, done have it. Have to know your version of it, yeah. your your world of it. Yeah. Yes, and it's like it has nothing to do with like even watching Strixu. It's just no, like mine is a little different, like very not even a little, very different. And it's it's based off of how I interpret the idea of a magical college. Um, but yeah, it, it taking back storytelling for myself and really taking like doing it personally has been something I've had to fight for a 
fight for for a very long time but i found like so many ways to do it in a quality quality not quantity way um that brings me so much joy and makes it so i actually look forward to dming both for myself like my personal games and for like those games where it's like this is someone else's world or this is another like this is a module for a company or like whatever how did you become a storyteller in the first place um i feel like it definitely comes down to like i was writing nonstop because i was watching like a bunch of like I was watching a bunch of things. That's all you could do as a kid is like watch things during the summer, go outside and play. And then you're making believe that you are those things. And then, then you read books. Like I was an avid reader growing up, like would read through so many different books and and just chew through uh, catalogs, like chew through any sort of library I was set in. Um, And it just got to the point. I was like, Oh, people are writing this. I could write this. Or like, I'd be like, I don't like how the story went. I'm going to write my own. And it led to me and my brother sitting down when I was very young, when we were both very young. He's like two years older than me. And we just started typing out the story. We started coming up with this story and we called it Time. And it was literally just about teens who could like, these teens who all went to the same school and they realized that their parents were like super powered individuals and all together, when they all worked together, they could stop time. And there was very blatant and obvious self inserts of like who, which one we were. Like you could tell, like if I laid out the characters, you could easily tell who like, there's a character who. named Rexy and, uh, <laughs> exactly. Like it was literally that like, but there was also like, we just weren't thinking about it. We were just having so much fun. Like one of the main characters, his name was gray. And then the character that was my self insert, she had an older brother, air quotes, like my older brother, but I named him Silver. So we had two characters, main characters, one named Gray and one named Silver. We did not notice this till we were old and going back and looking at this story, but we were just having fun. It was like 10,000 or something words that we would sit down and write like a chapter a day and then argue about how the chapter would go and keep typing. And wow, that's intense. Yeah. And like, I think I've said this story before. I loved saying the story though, because my mom talks about how one time she was at work and I called her and I'm crying and she's, I was crying. Um, I'm crying. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, Gabe said that he's going to have the right to the movie when we get older. And I want the rights to the movies or we have to split them. I'm in like the fourth grade. <laughs> like there's, I'm already becoming a property it's like the lawyer. Things kids say. I know. Yeah. And so I think it started very young of like realizing we had control over like creative control over these things. And we weren't worried if it was good or bad. Like objectively it was bad, but we wrote like 10, 11,000 words because we were just yeah, like, when you're in it, you're in it. Yeah. Right? That's, that's a masterpiece is going to be made into a exactly. movie. And, and it's like, yeah. it's one of those things like we were, it was no doubt. We were like, this is who's going to play us. And like immediately we had no second guess about like how good a thing has to be in order to be made into a movie or any, any of that kind of stuff. And it's interesting. Cause like, I feel like I haven't written anything as good as that since which is wild to say. You, you peaked. I peaked. Okay. I peaked in the fourth grade. Like, I feel like I haven't written yeah. anything as good as that. And I don't know. I think it, it, I think it mainly has to do with the fact that, like, I was so uh, unburdened by the idea of being good. I, I just had to be creative. And I just had to be as creative as my brother was, if not more. And, like... A chapter would get done a day 
or in a couple of days. And we would yell and talk about like, oh, well, it needs to be like this. Or like, I want this character to do this. And we would find a middle ground. Um, but it's, I, I really feel like it started there with like my older brother right there being the creative force that was driving me to be creative. Um, and ever since then, I just... Like, that was the point I feel like I remember earliest. But I know, I know I was writing a lot before then. I was, like, avid reader, avid writer. But that's, like, the most vivid moment where I was, like, I'm going to be a storyteller. Like, I have to. I have to That was to when it movies. came together in this, like, very focused effort. And it was also a collaboration with Gabe. Yeah, Brother, right? exactly. And it just kept, like, literally kept doing that. I kept getting older and kept writing. And I would write these very bad stories or fan fiction even, which is a very weird thing, but like fan fiction or even scripts that were bad, like terrible. And I go back now and I'm like, I wrote so many of these. Like I wrote so many and they're all bad, but I, I didn't care. And I was so excited and I would get other people excited to be a part of it um, because of my passion, even though we didn't realize it was bad or maybe they realized it, but they just wouldn't tell me. But I think like everything spawns back from that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a gift. So full disclosure, I thought about interviewing you like many, many months yeah. ago when I was in, I was physically in LA and just chatting with uh, Joe Johnson. Oh my gosh. We were, we were like, we were like just walking along the street. We actually, we actually hung out for like four hours that day. Yeah. He was just Joe is the best. an amazing person to yeah. talk to. Literally the best. Uh, Joe Johnson, AKA Black Nito. Um, he has a show called Tabletop mm-hmm. Jocks, which I, that was the first time I saw you on in anything was on his, uh, on, in that, was it called One Shot or Four yeah. Shot campaign? Oh my gosh, my yeah. famous Four Shots. That, that's my favorite kind of campaign. <laughs> I just like, I love doing four episodes of something. That's a perfect amount of episodes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the first thing that Joe told me about you was like, he said, you should interview Lexi, but it wasn't like Lexi the dungeon master or dungeon or or lexi the ttrpg person it was just lexi is a gifted writer and storyteller and he told me that you have been you know writing movie scripts or like trying to do things outside of ttrpg and he said he wanted you to go to la and like finish something and so can you talk a bit about that and just because he seems to be the biggest fan of yours oh my gosh that's why that's why i'm putting the dot putting the dots together i'm just like i i think this is this is why like i think you're meant to do something on on this earth and it's to tell stories yeah right? oh my god that just makes me like i really want to cry hearing that i i'm not joking i i think there's just like oh god i don't know i can't even i don't even know how to talk about a gift that i have i don't i don't even know I think I'm constantly comparing myself, constantly doing the non-egotistical thing, which is, or egoist thing, not egotistical, egoist thing, which is like thinking highly of everyone else. But I think there is a huge part of me that wants to, like, even if, like, move to LA, like, I move to LA, figure out writing, get a gig, start sweeping, sweeping the floor at a movie studio and work my way up. Like, I am, that's like, I think my dream job absolutely is like writing like writing specifically and I've always had these like fantastical stories in my mind I've never been like a it's only a drama like or whatever I'm like no it's a drama but there are dragons or it's a drama like favorite story idea I've been working on this forever is just like these four black girls who grew up playing D&D as kids and then they get older and they realize like oh shit our campaign is coming true 
and having to just like literally figure out life and come back together as adults and like be okay with who they are as adults and like dealing with loss and disappointment and grief and growth. That sounds like a great show already. Know, like that, that's like, I'm in, I'm in the pitch. I'm in, I, if I'm a producer, you're pitching this to me. I'm just like, let's yeah. Go. Cause like stuff like that, once again, like a, I think stories are the vaccine to true life. And I think in the way that like a, a vaccine is introduction of the virus in order to, be able to bring down your like add resistance to that virus so like the idea that we can tell a story that has a dragon and it's allegorical for greed or it's it's allegorical for um pain or suffering or fatalism of like things are always going to end in fire whenever i'm around like that kind of thing when you meet people that are like that in real life, it's not that you're going to be like, my D&D character said this. Or like, I saw a TV show where they dealt with it by saying these words. That's not it. But it allows you, like, you've already been through that experience. Or you've seen people go through that experience. And you've seen them come out unscathed. Or if they did, if they did, it's because, or if they didn't come out unscathed, it's because they made a wrong choice. And in that moment, like, a lot of those times, it's that moment where, like, the person, you know the monster's behind the door and there are so many signs saying the monster's behind the door and the person's like i'm gonna open the door and you're like you're stupid why would you open the door it's like there's two reactions which is i learned because they did it the right way or i learned because they did it the wrong way and either way that brings us like i can still think of many tv and movie moments that like taught me lessons as a kid and taught me lessons even now um and so i've always had a heart for like telling stories that specifically allow you to see yourself in those characters and allow you to see complex situations mixed with like magic or mixed with urban fantasy or mixed with horror or mixed with sci-fi sci just because like that stuff is super fun to write um but also because it allows you to like take a step back and get lost in a metaphor and that's that's very fun and beautiful i feel like you have this unique combination where you, you are a storyteller, you can build the worlds, you can create coherent things, but you also understand that the sum is greater than the individual parts where you are able to take the community interactions, like uh, social settings and elevate it as well. So I, I almost feel like even if you were to do, even if your TV show or movie were to be green-lighted, it would almost be too constraining in a mm -hmm. way like let's take aside like material success and what that means and maybe Halle Berry is playing your character <laughs> or whatever it is or the mother yeah exactly or you, you or you have like clout uh, uh with a capital yeah. c hashtag clout but it almost feels like you thrive on this sort of interactivity that the traditional mediums don't give exactly. you is that fair to That's say exactly it like one of the reasons, like, I think everyone's like, you got to finish your script in order for your script to get made. One of the reasons a lot of my scripts don't get finished is because it's just me sitting at the computer. Like, I love bringing people in on the idea and, like, talking through it and carving out a truth with them and figuring out how to get there. That process is so much fun to me that I, I it's hard for me to sit down and be like, okay, now I got to sit in my room and type for the next three weeks mm -hmm. and also i'm impatient when it comes to that too where i'm like i already see it in my mind i want it to be done um mm -hmm. but i have this like very visual style and i have a very collaborative like i love working with other people 
I love spitballing. I love uh, writer's rooms where it's like a bunch of us all together. Even in a lot of my games, it's never just me being like, I'm going to show up the day of and give everyone information. Beforehand, I have carved through and given something to every single player. You, you did the work, you did the preparation. And allowed them to have input on the world they want to play in. Like, the first thing right. I ask people when I, like, the, the, the four shot that I did on Joe's channel, I didn't just, like, say, I'm going to do a museum four shot. I, I literally sent out a poll, and the first question on the poll was, hey, we've got multiple ideas. Like, I've got multiple ideas for things I would feel comfortable running. Here's four ideas. Pick pick one. Pick which one sounds the most fun. Yeah. And then we got on a call for a session zero. And in that session zero, I asked everyone what you enjoy about telling stories and what do you what what do you find hard about telling stories. And that's how yeah. I figure out you, what I'm going to say. Actually, you actually took the time to like workshop it and to almost, if I if I dare say, to like be 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 comfortable with the loss of control. You're almost like seeding because I feel like it's interesting because I feel like whether it's magic or RPGs, like sometimes in these situations, it's a way for people to manifest the best and worst of their ego and personality. Mm -hmm. So I feel like traditionally DMs are very like control oriented mm -hmm. because literally I'm dictating the, the world and a story I'm telling you what to do. And some people, uh, some people get yes. off on that, but I feel like you're, you're kind of like taking that to, or you're, you're subverting that expectation. Like I'm going to give up control. I'm going to make you a participant in my yep. story, even though in the end, ultimately it comes from, from me. I synthesize the ideas, but I have empathy for what, who you are as a character. Yeah. I have, I'm, I'm giving you control, right? Yeah. So that we can make a better thing in the end. And I think that's just so hard to do. Like maybe that's the good part of people pleasing or, or being service oriented is that you can do yeah, that. Right? Exactly. And I, that's exactly it is, one, people love being able to write a story. Like most players don't show up to a D&D session knowing that they're going to have a way to, like they're going to change the world. Most people don't show up to a session expecting to change a world or expecting to change like how the DM is willing to do things. Like people show up wanting to win a lot of the times and other people show up along for the ride that the DM is like the, the DM is rowing and they're on the boat and they're just along for the ride and they're okay and happy to be on, on the ride. And that's perfectly okay. I think I show up immediately putting a chisel in everyone's hand and I allow everyone to make a little dent in what I consider to be a story. And like, and at that point it's, it's, it's interesting, interesting too. Cause a lot of my world building my world building does not, like, I don't have my entire world carved out. My world is carved out by individuals. And, like, I there comes a point where I'm like, my world is not ready for any, like, not ready for any players. I haven't figured out where these cities are. But also I know I'm going to add more. And it gets to the point with world building where I cannot build anything else without allowing other people in. And so even my, my stories work the same exact way. I think about like, oh, what kind of story do I want to tell? What system do I want to use? And it gets to a point where I literally have to let other people in. I have to start asking people if they want to be a part of it because the kind of people that pull up to the game influences the kind of story I want to tell and influences how I even begin to create. Um, and I think that's just an acknowledgement, a literal acknowledgement of the fact that like story isn't all me. And, like, my story will never be all me. And, like, any show I output is going to be a 
an amalgam of me and my vision, but also each person's vision and like where they want their character to go. And it's interesting because Strixu does the same exact thing where every single episode, once we get done, once we cut the cameras, I'm literally on for about half an hour to an hour to two hours talking to people about like, how do you feel about the session? Where do you want your character to go? What are you thinking of doing next? Um, was that, was this scene okay? How do we feel about this? And then texting everyone in their downtime being like, what's one thing you really, really want to happen next session? Who's one person you really, really want to talk to? And not being afraid to be like, not being afraid of like, I think there's such thing as privacy and secrecy. Secrecy is like, I want to keep these things to myself because it will literally invalidate, it will be invalid if I tell someone else other things. Um, and that's like the level of secrecy is something that we as a show have to our viewers. Privacy is another whole thing where I'm like, your character doesn't know this, but you as all players, we all need to acknowledge that this is about to happen or that this person did this thing. Are we okay with this? And it's like, we have a level of privacy with each other where we will continue. And like, we have a right to know this information. Um, and secrecy is that extra step where it's like, it literally like, it, it's an extra layer of like between us and the world because we have to make it look easy. You have to make it look good. Um, but like, if I just wandered up to a table and was just like, I, I'm going to do what I want this week. It would go very badly. It would go very, very badly. Um, at least in my heart, I feel like it would. And I've been at tables where that's exactly what happens. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. So. So your approach has been, would you say it's been refined over experience or like observing what has worked and what hasn't worked? Yes. I think it's definitely been refined. I think I started from the beginning as a collaborative, what do you want to play? What are your favorite movies? Like even my first campaign was like the Disney campaign that I talked about. And it's uh, like just a Disney campaign where I, I drew the map and I placed the characters in places and came up with the cities in the uh, regions that they all lived in and came up with my own story but that would not like it was still not all me like it was me asking my players what are your favorite movies letting them pick out their characters and then building the story based off of like the characters that they wanted to play um so that's been since the very beginning but i think over time especially with the introduction to me of like session zeros and those like and, and um in magic we have that concept as well of like the rule zero talk like the rules the rule yeah. Zero, yeah um that was in tabletop it's ported over to magic and i love it a lot um and i demand it now like i literally demand it where i'm like what level are we playing how are you guys feeling what kind of what kind of deck are you bringing do you want to play your most decrepit deck great thank you for letting me know <laughs> like i'm ready i'm here to experience that um but i'm here to experience yeah that. i'm super down <laughs> go for it ruin my life um, but yeah, truly that's, uh, like it's been refined, but it started off with the input and then over time developed into being like more and more defined of like what kind of input, what kind of input people enjoy. Like I found what people actually know and also how to ask the right questions to be like, okay, what was your favorite movie as a kid? Or like, what's the last thing you went to the movie theater for? Or like what video game, uh, did you put down? And if someone's like Breath of the Wild, I'm like, okay, they hate puzzles. <laughs> like they hate puzzles. No puzzles <laughs> in this game. Like that's that's a skill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's the there's the art of like probing into who mm -hmm. they are, and also being a good interviewer and like doing the doing the setup. Mm -hmm. And 
I think you're touching on something interesting, which is DMing is a way of is leading. DMing is leadership. But sometimes when you're a leader, how do you how do you manage the different personalities and egos? Like how, when people when some people want this and other other people want that. Like how how does that how how do you how do you reconcile those things? As a I think leader? starting with a good understanding of what your foundation is is good. I think I am never trying to walk into a story without clarifying. Here's who I am. Here's how I play. This is how I run things. Um, and here's the boundary of what I will and will not take from people. Like I, I really don't ever try to work with people who are just like, I don't like working with random people specifically because it's, it's for the same reasons as the rule zero conversation. You might not know who you're playing with, um, what kind of deck they're bringing, whatever. And that, this applies to magic too. Cause I, I have gotten to the point where I sure. have had to find a play group and really only play with them because straight playing with strangers has become a hard thing to do um but in person but i think specifically with tabletop because we're all performers and the nature of performing is how good you are at the table will allow you to be at another table um there's definitely a lot of ego but I think validating some of the some of that ego and being like, oh, bring that, like bring that part of yourself, and setting boundaries and being like, oh, I don't know if this game is going to go there. Harnessing yeah, it right, in the right way. It's exactly that because I think I think a lot of people are afraid to be like, you can't play that character. I'm sorry, that character will not fit at this table. Or saying straight up like, I don't like that deck. Like I've had to put my foot down both in the tabletop and the magic space and just be like, nope. I, I actually really don't I'm I'm not up for experiencing this one actually um and getting comfortable saying that because you will hate yourself on the other side of the interaction especially if you put your time your energy into it like we are all trying to do of just creating something good for ourselves and other people you will put your entire self into it and then get to the other side of it and be like that was not worth it because and because I allowed that to happen it ruined it for me or this is not my best work or that was my best work, but it's including a person or an ego that I didn't really like. Um, and sometimes it's very visible when someone's like not able to reel in the ego that is at the table. But I think like the best part about being a DM is like learning those leadership skills that allow me to both be very improvisational with like, accepting everyone and encouraging everyone especially you have people from like tier one act like people who have been actors in movies and stuff and have credits on like amazon and and, and like chant actual tv shows yeah, they, they know how it yeah, works to people yeah. who are just like oh i've been playing D for three or four years and this is my first tabletop game you've got experiences from yeah. up to down and same with magic so hey i think i think there's nothing wrong with qualification criteria yep. for creating the best experience, yeah. just like how for my podcast is very simple. Like I, I don't usually invite people who've never done any podcasts mm -hmm. before because they might just be so caught up in like the level to use a magic analogy, like the level one mechanics of like, how do I speak or how do I, what should I say? How do I present exactly. myself? Do I have a microphone? Like, like there's just so much that you can just filter out if you have the right qualification criteria. So I think people who are performers, there's already like something built mm -hmm. in. Like, it's just very hard for you to do a, a public TTRPG thing and just invite someone who's only played at the LGS yeah. and has never done it. I mean, sometimes it works. Sometimes it, 
it doesn't yeah. so but it's it's just harder yeah. right and like so. i'm a big like i will play with anyone i i do love playing with people but i think there's yeah. a difference in like it's not about excluding someone but it's about like how do i create the best content yeah. if that's and even just how I'm, I'm feeling because like there are some days where i do go to lgs's and i do just like playing i i like playing with strangers and acting like i do not exist like my name does not exist um or mm. even online like i've joined uh discords where people are playing magic over spell table and i just change my name and play the game as much as like you can call me lexi we're good and just play because it's fun or even DD games where it's charity and i don't like it's not about the people or even streamed games where i've never worked with people before but i i tr like i just gotta hope that like even though they're asking questions i'm i've got the energy to answer them i think it's more so about me than them like if a new if i had a new a group of four new people asking me to run a game for them Especially this happens in real life a lot where I'm like, yeah, I'll run D&D &D for you whenever. Just let me know. I do it all the time, but it's because I know I, when I say I do that, like when I say I will do that, I have the capacity to deal with the new or deal with the maybe inexperienced or answer the questions or whatever um, because I have that capacity. Whereas if it was about them, I don't think I would ever play with anyone new. I don't think I would, you know, and that's... I think a lot of people who are like kind of bigger in magic have gotten to that point and bigger in tabletop too have gotten to the point where they refuse to play with strangers. And I have the time and the energy sometimes. Um, and I'm more than willing to make that happen for strangers. But I think like there's a part of me that's also just like, sometimes I want the sure. thing that I pitched to be the thing that I pitched. And that means like getting yep. like certified performers, getting certified, like, someone who knows how to work uh, a stream, like knows how to work Twitch, knows how to work yep. all of those things. So there's no issue with yeah. that. If Erica Badu should be the lead actress yep. or singer exactly. on this track, exactly. like it should be Erica Badu. It should not be. Yeah. We're getting Hans Zimmer. Yeah. We're not getting a high school, uh, high schooler that figured out how to compose with a little yes. piano. Like we gotta, we gotta get the Hans Zimmer in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Obviously, you've always been yourself. You've always been Lexi. But can you speak on what it's like to be a female person in this space or even a black female mm -hmm. person in this space? Like, obviously, you've always just been yourself. So it's hard to, like, out of body, like, quantify like, oh, it, you know, yeah. if I were somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But, but what are your thoughts about this in terms of TTRPGs or the gaming content space? Yeah, I mean, I think... It's definitely weird because I've noticed it a lot more in the space. And I think it's not from the good people, interestingly enough. It's never from the good people that I remember. Oh, I'm black. I'm femme. I'm all of these things. Cool, 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 cool. It's mostly people that are consuming me as a product and are not willing to see past the fact that I am like a human person. Um, but I think my experience, for the most part, it's interesting because like, I have a mentor who they're like a phenomenal person, very like in tune with the space and how it has changed over the years, specifically in tabletop. And it's funny because like, they were like, you are a Brown femme person. You are like attractive. You are personable. You are all these things. Here's what's going to happen. Like the second that you hit live on that Twitch stream, Here's what's going to happen. And literally broke down how companies would approach me, how people would approach me, how like white groups would approach me and try to 
like take advantage of the fact that I'm a person of color for their casts or for their games or whatever and what it was going to be like and like not in all of a negative way but just in a way to be like hey I've seen this happen many and multiple times this is probably how it's gonna go and it's very funny because everything came true so it's like like I said it's usually I don't really it's not that I don't remember but like I'm usually in good company um for the most part so I don't think about it until I'm like out of good company um and I feel like you know just a little out of place like very very like a black sheep if uh for for lack of better words like just a very out of place person um but even then I think there's just a huge part of me that's just like I I I think my experience as a black femme person like in this space has just told me like I can't be in a space where there are not other people of color where there are not other femmes like I refuse to be a part of it I don't play any D&D games where it's like all guys or even like if it's like even if it's like all white people and that sounds like very weird and probably very controversial but I refuse to do it just because I cannot be the person that will consistently be teaching everyone about how to be in relationship with me and how to be in correlation with me um that's a burden and it's on its own right and I think like it is not my issue to have to teach everyone all the time and if you were a one person or even like one femme person one queer person one whatever in the room with a bunch of people who have never had to think about that like you're gonna always be the teacher um and always trying to like be chill enough to be up to their standards because they're setting the bar, not you. I think it's tough because not that I'm femme or, or black, but um, I have felt it maybe differently mm -hmm. as an Asian person or a minority person. But I think it's just tough because just right away, based on what we look mm -hmm. like, there are expectations on what we need to be as role yep. models. There are expectations on we need to speak for our culture exactly. or our group. Whereas the default, if you're not one of mm -hmm. us, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to explain yourself. And there's an extra, this is not woe is me, but th there's an extra mental burden. Sometimes you just want to, you just want to have fun. You just yeah. want to, you just want to be it's in the thing. Load, you just want to yeah. be in it, as we said. And, but there's always this other thing that's like sort of hanging there. And then the the way to alleviate that is like you said, maybe it's like, I'll call it game selection or like people selection. It's like if you're with a bunch of other, like if I'm with a whole bunch of other Asian folks or I'm with a, a diverse group, then there isn't that burden, that mental yeah. load, or there 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 just isn't right. And it, it just that's just facts. And and I think I think we need to recognize yeah. that, you know. And I think it's it's definitely a thing where like everyone's always going to be learning more. I'm learning more even about the black experience. I'm learning more about the queer experience. I'm learning more, and it's like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't harm as much as it would if i were like there's this person on i'm gonna go on a tangent here there's this person on tiktok that's been recounting their issue like they were uh it's just like white woman who she's just like breaking down because for mother's day she and her sister who's a mother and her, their mother all had to plan mother's day and their husbands didn't do any planning and they were like, 
even if this was Father's Day, we'd probably still be doing planning, even though all of them are fathers. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And it's an extra load and burden. And this person broke it down and was like, this is kind of explaining the fact that, like, one, there's emotional load here. But then that person had another TikTok where they're talking about, like, if you are someone who is in a minority group and you are deciding to go not the default route at all but like if you are a person of color who's deciding to date a white person who came from privilege and they just like never had to think about diversity or whatever then you're always you have to know that you have now agreed from this point onward to always be the person teaching them about how to be in correlation with you and it's like that does not stop like even if they get comfortable with you they still have a lot to learn about culture a lot to learn about how you exist in other groups how you interact with other groups and you'll continue to become part of other groups the longer you stay alive um so it's just one of those things that like you are signing up for a an emotional burden and it's not always a bad thing because i think everyone needs to be taught everyone has more to learn and everyone everyone deserves a bit of patience but i think in these spaces where the goal is to make content i'm proud of I have to feel comfortable and I have to feel like I'm having fun. And that's always, that's always my, like my bar. If I feel comfortable and if I feel like I'm going to have fun, I will do the thing. But if one of those things are invalidated and usually it's invalidated at tables where it's like all white people and I'm the only person of color or all guys and I'm the only like femme person. It's like, it's like, that's where I'm like, mm, I really don't like this. Uh, and I feel uncomfortable and I feel like I'm going to have to teach or someone's going to make a joke and I'm going to be sitting there alone being like, there's no other person of color I can like cut my eyes to, to be like, <laughs> like the Jim Halpert stare at the camera moment. But like truly it, it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's a very specific thing that we like, we know because we are people of color, but outside of us, it's very not, it's not acknowledged in any like official capacity. So Lexi, uh, so much more we can we, we can, can talk, talk on, but I want to thank you. I, 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 I truly believe that. I truly believe that there might be a part two, yes. three, four uh, in the future, hopefully, if you're, if you're up for it. Um, thank you for doing the thing with me today. And thank you for being you. And uh, maybe the last thing I'll say is like, are there any plugs you want to make or any, or just tell people, tell people where to find you on the internet if they don't already know where yeah, to find Yeah, I mean, you can find me on the internet everywhere as at Black Girl Mage. Um, I play Magic, I run D&D, I run other a bunch of other games, but right now I'm the Dungeon Master for the all-black HBCU-inspired Strixhaven campaign called Strixu. Um, the only reason I'm throwing that out as a plug is because we just filmed our finale recently, so we will be posting those episodes um, very soon, meaning, you know, keep an eye out for that. That's the main thing I'm doing. Um, outside of that, you know, I'm just... Down to, I'm just here to sit in this space just and present. yeah, just be here. present and <laughs> just be here. <laughs> nice. Well, Lexi, have a great, wonderful rest of the evening where you Thank are. Thank you. I will. You too. You too. Have a wonderful day.